Good morning. Welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 2nd of July. Hello, Jan. Hello, Tom. Welcome back. We missed you yesterday. Yeah, I got the corona test. I was a little bit unwell and obviously didn't want to infect all my colleagues. Yeah, you're a gentleman. (laughs) How was it? Came back negative. It really hurt, though. I was quite sensitive. I had a a runny nose. Yeah. And they put the swab up and it went further and further. Ow! (laughs) But I don't want to discourage anyone from getting the test, especially you Victorians. Yeah. Did you get a lollipop afterwards at least? Oh, boo. (laughs) All right. In a moment, Jan, uh, you're going to brief us on what's happening in the legal industry. There's a bit of a reckoning going on in the wake of the Dyson Hayden sexual harassment revelations. Yeah. So sexual harassment, this is a direct quote, sexual harassment is a leading reason women step away from the legal profession. That comes from the president of the Law Council. So we're going to take a look at why that's happening, and what can be done to change it. All right, before we get into that, let's look at the other big news of the day. Well, that escalated quickly, one might say, as border regulations between Victoria and New South Wales kick up a bit of a notch. So starting today, Victorians from 10 coronavirus hotspots in Melbourne are not allowed to enter New South Wales. And if you do penalties can be hefty. As soon as you step foot in New South Wales, you'll be exposed to the possibility of uh, six months jail and an $11,000 fine. Pretty serious there. That was the New South Wales Health Minister, Brad Hazard. Some Victorians are back into stage three lockdown as of today. As coronavirus cases continue to climb, there's 73 new cases recorded in the last 24 hours. And as for anyone thinking about heading south from New South Wales, listen to this. Don't go to Victorian hotspots. Just don't go. That's pretty clear advice there. Yeah, absolutely. Don't do it. So it's been fascinating to hear about what's going on in Melbourne, that actually a big chunk of these outbreaks have come from the mismanagement of hotel quarantine. Uh, The Premier, Dan Andrews, was asked about that last night on TV. I have announced a full inquiry. A former judge will look at that matter and get us the answers that we need. These breaches are unacceptable to me. They're unacceptable to all Victorians. That's happened, though. I can't change that. All I can do is respond to the problem. What a debacle. Apparently, uh, the Victorians were using private security to help manage those hotels, where in New South Wales they were using the army uh, as well as the police. Yeah. And you've got people all around society, you know, again in Victoria, having to shut down businesses um, when the government hasn't been able to manage the obvious high-risk hotspots of hotel quarantine. Yeah, a lot of people have a lot of questions to answer, I think. Well, speaking of battle scars, Guy Sebastian's former manager has been arrested for allegedly defrauding the singer of over a million dollars. Yeah, police swooped on Titus Day's Bondi home last night and they say that fraud charges are expected later this morning. It's another twist in an already turbulent saga. The pair are already suing each other, claiming they owe each other money. And ACT police are now investigating claims former High Court judge Dyson Hayden sexually harassed six female associates while serving on the High Court bench. Yeah, so last month we heard that an independent High Court inquiry found that he had harassed them. Now, Hayden emphatically denies any wrongdoing. Another development is that he's no longer a barrister anymore. The New South Wales Bar Associations confirm that he didn't renew his practising certificate after the June 30 cutoff. New Year to you. Well, new financial year, (laughs) that is, which um, is not off to a great start, I will say. The ATO website has crashed. Now, usually around this time, there's a lot of activity 
activity on the website, but seemingly even more so this year as people rush to access another $10,000 from their super. Um, There's also people lodging tax returns and people processing JobKeeper payments. So there's a lot going on and I imagine some financial anxiety at this time. Yeah, I imagine so. And people with extra time to actually get their affairs in order. A lot of people push back their tax to the last moment possible, but people are trying to get it sorted. I think we're going to see another big wave of people taking out that $10,000 chunk of their super. Um, The first time around, there were more than 2 million people that took out um, some of their super. At that point, the stock market was getting smashed. So that's where a lot of people's super is invested. So they would have lost a lot of money by taking it out at that time. The only good thing about taking it out now is that the market has come back a bit so they won't be losing as much money. All right. You're off, Tom. I'm replacing you with Anarchist Methurst. (laughs) Great. (laughs) A reckoning is taking place in Australia's legal profession. The women in the industry, from legal assistants right through to former prime ministers, say that it's a boys' club and it always has been. Here's Julia Gillard speaking in 2018. Female solicitors were much more viewed as the personal assistant, helpmate, you know, can you help get the coffee, um, rather than the, the legal mind in partnership with the barrister. Julia Gillard was a lawyer in the 1990s. Now, you would think that 30 years on, the legal profession would be slightly more welcoming to women. After all, more than 60% of law graduates today are female. But things don't appear to have changed all that much. I was repeatedly groped by a superior court judge when working as a young prosecutor and then as a private practice attorney. This went on for as long as the particular judge was on the bench. I developed strategies for avoiding most of the unwanted groping, backing up to a wall when seeing him in the hallway, avoiding him at social events, etc. It was not a situation that was ever reported. So that was an anonymous submission to the International Bar Association and it was one of thousands of examples provided to researchers who last year undertook the largest ever global survey on the prevalence and nature and impact of bullying and sexual harassment within the legal profession. Last week, though, attention turned to Australia after a number of women alleged they were sexually harassed by working in the High Court. Now, that's the biggest court in the land. should be a proper process to deal with this. There will be. They're very serious allegations. They're very concerning and very disturbing. Uh, and on that basis, um, I would expect those processes to do their job. So what Scott Morrison is referring to is allegations that former High Court Justice Dyson Hayden sexually harassed six young female associates. Hayden denies these allegations, but it's prompted a conversation about how women are treated in the legal profession, who's known about these behaviours and why it took for a female Chief Justice to instigate an inquiry into what actually went on at the High Court. So this sort of hostile work environment has led to women leaving the law. Jessie too is a writer who has worked in the legal industry. Um, Jessie, you left the legal profession. Tell us why. I found myself being surrounded from nine to five and oftentimes um, much later by men who moved in a very particular way. And the optics of the chambers or the environments that I moved in, in the courthouse, in the offices, um, in the social settings, I found extremely alienating. And I suppose I found that particularly as a woman, not just as a woman, but as a woman of colour. Mm. And so often I was being sidelined and marginalised in quite 
blatant ways that were often unseen by other people. And I guess also I found that the um, gender-slanted pathways that people were aspiring to were so obvious to me, like the hierarchical nature of the law very much indicated to me that I wasn't going to be supported and it just seemed like too much of a um, battle for me to fight at such a young age and at, at such an early stage in my career. You say that some of these examples were terribly blatant, but they were also these small everyday occurrences. Why do you think that is that people don't call them out? Is it because it's just so often and so regular and everybody who works in that environment is just used to this being the way? Why do you think there's no sort of exposure to let transparency into these situations? I think, you know, industry like the law where it's such a traditionally male-dominated space and where, you know, historic power is very much rooted in this traditional idea of masculine power, it's just sort of unsavoury to call things out. Jesse, just quickly, can I get you to just paint a picture of what it's like for a young female law graduate to walk into um, an environment like the law in Australia? First off, you need to be immaculate in your appearance. That was always in the forefront of um, my mind, at least. My appearance had to be immaculate. Um, I always had to be very aware of how I spoke and what I did in small movements, um, you know, how I wore my hair, what kind of shoes I wore. I think um, every tiny little iteration of something that doesn't show that you belong in this kind of very traditional um, suited, blazered, black attire um, will make you stand out in a way that you don't want to stand out. Is there an example that you can give us of something that uh, might have happened to you or to somebody that you know in that instance? Um, Little comments, I'd say, little comments made by men in regards to the height of an associate's um, heels or the length of their skirt or the tightness of their skirt or the colour of their skirt. Um, Just, you know, very, very small things that actually make you realise that they're noticing you if you're doing something off colour, so to Mm. speak. That was Jessie too. Now, her experience is not uncommon. A report by the Law Council in 2014 found that half of women surveyed said that they'd experienced gender-based discrimination in the workplace. That's right, Jen. And a quarter of female respondents reported sexual harassment compared to 8% for men. In fact, Law Council President Pauline Wright said that sexual harassment is actually the leading reason why women decide to step away from the legal profession and just do something else. Yeah. So what is going on here exactly and what can be done to fix it? Kate Eastman is a senior counsel. She's an employment and human rights barrister, and she's been thinking quite deeply on a lot of this stuff. She joins us now. Kate, paint us a picture of the culture within the law profession here in Australia. Well, we've got 65,000 practising lawyers in Australia and uh, it's a very male-dominated culture. So the way in which the culture in the law operates is very much around hierarchy. And so at the top of the food chain for lawyers are the judges and particularly the high court judges. They're like the gods of the legal profession. And success in the legal profession is about working your way up through the hierarchy. So that creates a culture where we fit in. We don't challenge the hierarchy because challenging the hierarchy means that that might affect our 
prospects of doing well in our careers, but it's also this sign of not disrespecting those above us. Mm. So that creates a culture where it is difficult to challenge those who are our bosses in the law and to challenge people who are more senior to us. The President of the Law Council of Australia, Pauline Wright, has said that sexual harassment is one of the leading reasons why women actually step away from the legal profession. Hearing that, does that surprise you or is that something you've seen? No, that doesn't surprise me at all. We did a big survey about six years ago and asked women in the profession what keeps them in the profession and what makes them leave the profession. And sexual harassment was one of the reasons women leave the profession women who I know who've left the profession for experiencing sexual harassment have basically said, it's just not worth it. It's not worth complaining, but it's equally not worth it for me to come into the workplace day after day and have to work with the person who harassed me and knowing that nothing can be done and knowing that he could do it again. And so they step back and they say, I'm going to look for other options because it's more important for me, for my health, for my welfare, not to keep putting myself back in that position. Mm. And so they'll leave the profession and many people will never know what the true reason might be. In the case of the Hayden allegations, of course, which he denies, but much of the commentary has centred around the fact that Susan Kiefer was the Chief Justice that instigated the report. What do you make of the fact that, I guess, a woman was in the top job when this report went ahead? And, and do you think it perhaps would have happened should a man have been in that position? Well, I can't talk about any specific allegations and any findings because I haven't seen them and I'm not aware of them. But I can talk about how the Chief Justice, who has responsibility for the High Court, took the action that she did. Her action has been, and I've said this last week, incredible. She has immediately instituted an investigation from a very senior, reputable person. The investigation has been, from all accounts, a fair investigation But more importantly, the outcome of the investigation is the Chief Justice has taken institutional responsibility. Mm. So she hasn't made it a he or she case. What she's done is said, we as the court need to be responsible for providing safe working environments and for a Chief Justice to say that the court is ashamed as to what has happened in the sense of letting those women down and not providing them safe working environments is quite an incredible step and it's really a good example to all employers that it's not the onus is not just on the woman and it's not just focused on the perpetrator it's to ask in workplaces why has this happened and how can the workplace or the employers take that responsibility yeah she has been incredible and an inspiration the Chief Justice has really led by example. She's been incredible. What needs to change here, Kate? What sort of things can be implemented right now to ensure that, uh, you know, we're moving in the right direction for change? So the first thing is we need a change in the law. And it might come as some surprise that our National Sex Discrimination Act doesn't actually cover all people working in workplaces. So judges, for example, are not covered by the Sex Discrimination Act. And most barristers are not covered by the Sex Discrimination Act in the sense that we're not employers, we're not employees, 
it covers us if we're service providers, but our day-to-day -day relationships with people who we work with are not covered by the Sex Discrimination Act. But then the longer-term piece is to change the culture. And what I'd like to see is that us as the profession, we take responsibility rather than having this conversation which has come up this week, which is why don't women complain? They should come forward and complain. And once you, you frame the issues in that way, then you're making women responsible to have to complain about inappropriate behaviour. The onus then comes on the individual woman who's less powerful to say, if I want something done about it, I've got to do something about it. And we've got to shift that culture of putting the onus on the women to have to come forward. So it means for us as a profession, if we know about sexual harassment, we see things occurring or we're in a position to preventing it, then we have to act rather than just expect the victims of sexual harassment to have to come forward. Yep. And so I'd really like to see that change in the profession, that we open our eyes to what's going on around us and that we don't participate in this sort of culture of silence. Jan, look, some pretty um, confronting examples there. But look, there does seem to be that a case that this might change, you know, young women are coming through in droves into this industry. They are staying on while they're not really getting to those senior levels at the moment. The hope is that they will come through and actually create this cultural change. Yeah. And I think the fact that this investigation um, was done by a Chief Justice, who is a woman and who really did talk about the culture, you know, that is a really key moment. And I hope that that is a moment that does instigate positive change here. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the Facebook ad boycott explained the hashtag Stop Hate for Profit campaign is growing, but will it make any kind of difference? Remember, if you like this podcast, subscribe at Podcast One Australia or search The Briefing wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, the best way to support us is to tell a friend. You know what? Tell 10 friends and get in touch with us on social media. We're always happy to hear from you. Talk to you soon. A Podcast One production.